Welcome to the podcast series, Withers Talks Cryptocurrency. I am Charles Kolstad, a partner in Withers International Cryptocurrency Practice Group, and I am delighted to be hosting this podcast series. In these podcasts, I'm asking cryptocurrency-related questions to my colleagues in our cryptocurrency group around the world. Today, we are also joined by some guest speakers. Let me introduce today's speakers. First, Sean Leong joins us from Withers Singapore office. He is a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators and a partner in our litigation and arbitration team. We are also joined by clients L. Lee and Sean G. L. Lee is a board member of OnChain Custodian and OnChain Finance, winners of Asia FinTech Awards for two years. Sean G. is the founder of Toko Crypto, the first regulated cryptocurrency exchange in Indonesia, and the first Indonesian digital asset exchange to receive an investment from a global exchange, Binance. Before we get started, as always, I want to remind listeners that anything discussed in this podcast is for informational purposes only, and we're not providing any legal investment or other advice. Today's topic is investing in NFTs and crypto assets. Practical Perspectives from Asia. Let's get started. Thank you, everyone, for joining today's discussion. Sean G., first off, congratulations on your launch of the new token, TKO. What does this mean for investors, and do you expect this trend to continue? Right, thank you, Charles, for having me on the podcast. Um, so my name is Sean G. Uh, just for co- context and background purposes, I wear a couple of hats in the cryptocurrency landscape. I'm also a founder at Digix, a gold-backed cryptocurrency platform, and also a regional partner at Kinetic Capital. So TKO itself is the very new token that was launched by Toko Crypto, as you mentioned, the first regulated exchange in Indonesia. I would say that it meant that the entire landscape in Indonesia has become a lot more institutional. People are getting involved in cryptocurrency as an alternative form of investments. Uh, Indonesia itself has traditionally been a powerhouse in the Southeast Asian technology economy. So I do think that this trend itself will help digital asset grow a lot faster in Indonesia in terms of adoption, uh, trading it as a form of uh, asset and using it perhaps even for payments. Thank you. So Al, given the interest in the NFT space, how does a custodian fit into the picture and what should investors and NFTs and crypto assets in general keep in mind? Yeah, but if you look at it, at it, NFT is really a hot space right now. And we just seen the news that Alan DeGeneres has made an auction you know, based on NFT as well. Um, so given an interest in that space, I think it makes sense that people start realizing the value in NFTs going forward and start to think about ways to protect their asset. And custodianship is one of the best ways to do that. If you think about traditional art piece, digital art, you don't really need a custodian in that sense because it's not really based on a blockchain. It's typically based on certain technology that is physical. And so you would be able to protect it by way of physical security as well as by way of law. Now, when it comes to digital asset, the difference here really is that you need to protect it by way of technology because anything transacted or sent across the blockchain, you're unable to reverse it. And generally, the only way to do that is if you have good technological protection around your asset, would you be able to do that? Now, the difference between an individual who is using a MetaMask to sort of sign off transaction on an NFT platform or certain other platforms um, are trying to protect 
their asset using security around their own computer. Now, that is not the same grid or not the institutional kind of security measures you want to put in place vis-a-vis -vis what you could actually get at a custodian who would have spent millions of dollars trying to protect digital asset. And that's the real gist of what actually custodians can put in place for any investors of NFT. Um, and that's what investors should keep in mind to really secure their asset going forward. Now, what's interesting also in the NFT space is the fact that it is a piece of asset. Now, if there is a value to that asset, then someday it could be used as a collateral in transactional sense. For example, we have an entity known as on-chain finance that deals with lending and borrowing. So sometimes down, sometime down the road, we might be able to sort of use an NFT as a collateral and give out a loan to institutional clients against a piece of collateral. Um, all we need perhaps is just a valuation report and certain procedures around how to recollect the sum if there was a margin call and things like that. So it'd be really interesting to explore that space, not just from an investor perspective, not just from on-chain's perspective, but also other FI's perspective and banks as well. Great. So there was a lot of news surrounding very recent activity in the Turkish market and one particular Turkish crypto exchange where $2 billion of investor money allegedly disappeared. How does a custodian fit in to helping to avoid losing your cryptocurrency in these situations? And what are things that people can do to deal with that? Absolutely. And what we've seen is a lot of companies or exchanges who have set themselves up um, basically did it based on the set of internal advice and what the senior management thinks should be done at the company level. Now, but when you work with a custodian, we know what are some of the best practices out there to avoid situations like that, um, where one person or a small group of individuals at the company could sort of roll up and move away with the funds if they wish to do so. Um, Onchain custodian ourselves, it's a very active participant in groups, for example, like Global Digital Finance, GDF. Um, we set up sort of the best industry practice guidelines for um, digital asset custodians, right? So if we follow some of the best practices and then how to sort of monitor, how to set maker and checkers, then you could have potentially avoided situations like that um, where key management just run away with the money. Um, and also this is a key thing for not just management to think about as well as board members and shareholders because ultimately the responsibility of governing a company and making sure that the right operating procedures are in place actually falls on the shoulder of them. Wonderful. So, Sean Leong, what is the enforcement landscape these days for NFTs and crypto assets in Singapore and Asia more broadly? Thanks very much, Charles. So this is an area of law which is developing very quickly. Um, it is widely accepted that under Singapore law, um, given the recent decisions which follow the principles of English law, that cryptocurrencies are now considered uh, as property. So the, the defining criteria would be that a prop in, in order for something to qualify as a property, it must be definable, identifiable by third parties, capable in its nature of assumption by third parties and have some degree of permanence or stability. And the Singapore courts have decided um, in line with English decisions that cryptocurrencies are indeed considered property under the law. Now, what this necessarily means from the enforcement perspective, Charles, is that cryptocurrencies could possibly be subjected to uh, a proprietary freezing order. Um, ordinarily speaking, it is not easy to have a proprietary freezing order, 
the property in question, in this case, the cryptocurrency, must be the subject matter of, of a main dispute before it can be considered for freezing. So, for example, if there's an obligation to pay a utility token, um, if certain specific rights are asserted over a security token in relation to a shareholding of a business, or if a specific set of Bitcoin or Ethereum token are wrongfully transferred by victims of a fraudulent transaction, now, I think in, in these specific instances, it is potentially possible that the cryptocurrency could be subjected to a proprietary freezing order. In terms of NFTs, um, now it, it, is it is important to rem remember that NFTs do not represent the unique asset itself, but rather it is the right to the unique asset. Um, and and because, because of the proprietary nature of this right, I would say more likely than not, it sits even higher uh, in the proprietary spectrum. So ordinarily speaking, this means that you cannot freeze uh, an NFT unless the, the unique asset is the subject matter of the dispute. For example, um, if there's an art dispute where, you know, perhaps there's a dispute over payment terms, um, over the sale of a valuable art piece. Um, so in those specific instances, it is possible that, you know, the NFT could be uh, subject to a freezing order. Um, in terms of Asia as a whole, I think the other common law jurisdictions like Malaysia, India, Brunei are more likely than not to adopt the same position as, as um, the, what the English courts have decided, given the common, um, common law heritage of, shared amongst these countries. But ASEAN and Asia is, is a diverse, uh, diverse region, right? So there are many civil law um, rather than common law countries. Um, and, and so if a particular country actually does not regard cryptocurrency as property, but rather regard cryptocurrency as money or a fiat currency, then it, it means that your cryptocurrency would be very vulnerable to what is known as a Mariva injunction, um, effectively akin to monies in a bank account that can be frozen um, pending a, a resolution of, of a dispute. Um, recently, there has been a development from the China perspective. So this, this was a decision only about two to three months ago. Um, there was a contract um, with obligation to pay Ethereum tokens. Um, the failure to pay Ethereum tokens was taken as a breach of contract. The dispute went to arbitration and the arbitrator actually issued an award for damages um, to pay compensation in US dollars. Um, to the value that is equivalent of the Ethereum tokens. Now, under Chinese mandatory laws, the exchange of fiat currency and cryptocurrency is strictly prohibited, which, mean, which meant that the, the arbitration award in granting compensation in US dollars that reflected the value of Ethereum token was taken to have fallen far of these mandatory laws. And therefore, um, the Chinese courts actually held that the award was not enforceable in China. So, um, you know, Asia remains, um, you know, a, a, a very diverse region where, you know, the appropriate strategies in terms of enforcement needs to be, needs to be considered uh, in accordance with um, each jurisdiction. Thank you. That raises a fascinating question. Assuming that you can get a freezing order, who do you serve it on and how? particularly where you have a blockchain that is basically a distributed ledger, is there really anyone to serve it on? How do you actually enforce that order? 
that's that's a that's a very important question, Charles. Because you know, ordinarily, when you're looking at um an asset, you're considering the questions of, you know, which court has the power to take jurisdiction over the asset, um, which which system of laws um govern over that asset, right? And and traditionally, these questions are answered based on where the property in question is cited or situated. Now, in terms of cryptocurrency, we are in an interesting dimension where, you know, the cryptocurrency can be said to be nowhere and anywhere at the same time because effectively it's in the blockchain, effectively it's stored in distributed ledger technology, right? So, so it's everywhere. Now, what, what it means is that in theory, in theory, any court in any part of the world can take jurisdiction um, over the question of um, a property dispute over cryptocurrency, right? And so, so a, a, a small baby step that any users of cryptocurrency could take um, to protect its investment or protect its cryptocurrency would be to actually custodize its cryptocurrency, to place its, its digital tokens and assets uh, with a custodian in a considered location of its choice. Right, because for example, if I have cryptocurrencies um, and I choose to place it uh, with a custodian in in country X, what I'm effectively saying is that I am blessing and granting the courts of country X and country X only to take jurisdiction over my cryptocurrency as property. Um, this 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 translates into several practical um, but important aspects, Charles. So. Number one, ideally, you should custodize your cryptocurrencies in a country or jurisdiction that regards cryptocurrency as a property, as opposed to a jurisdiction that regards cryptocurrencies as money, right? Because it is more difficult to obtain a proprietary freezing order or an attachment order um, as opposed to a Mariva freezing order. Um, number two, you should ideally choose to customize your cryptocurrencies in a neutral jurisdiction, neutral country that is as far away from your potential creditors or potential claimants as best possible. Um, and, and, and so, you know, just based on the Chinese example that, that I mentioned, right, one, one scenario that might work out would be that if the claimants try to enforce um, a judgment or an arbitration award against my cryptocurrencies in a, in a certain country, I could deny or object that enforcement simply by saying that, look, they are not within jurisdiction because they are custodized elsewhere. Um, I think the, the final point I wanted to share, Charles, is that increasingly in Asia, um, we are seeing that users, uh, the savvy and sophisticated users are um, getting more and more on board with um, having crypto tr trust by placing their cryptocurrencies in a trust, right? Because um, that would actually ring fence uh, and protect your ownership um, against creditors. The creditors ordinarily would not be able to touch the cryptocurrencies that you do not legally own. They actually sit elsewhere under the protection of a trust. So that's one another practical way um, that cryptocurrency users could protect their investments. Thank you. So, Sean G, circling back to you, what is your firsthand experience in dealing with NFTs in the Asian market 
and NFTs in general? Right. So uh, it's really heartwarming to hear from, from the earlier speakers uh, the change in the entire regulatory landscape. Four years ago, if I were to hear the word freeze or frozen, it's something that's very negative. Right? Uh, I'm glad this time, this time that the lawyers are on, on my side of the court. So NFTs in general has definitely became a very big topic in the last eight to 10 months. Uh, previously, NFTs were quite a thing back in 2017, when you have this whole congestion of the Ethereum network uh, done by a project called CryptoKitties. So what essentially happened was a project decided to put cats on the blockchain. As silly as it sounds, it's essentially just an avatar. Uh, you own like sort of a digital art that represents a picture of a, kid, uh, a kitty that is assigned to your name. So for the context of the readers, uh, NFTs stand for non-fungible token. Essentially what it is, is a particular asset that's assigned to you and only you, which is irreplaceable to any other kind of assets out there. A good example would be a flight ticket, for example. It's only assigned to your name and you can bought that particular flight without having it assigned to anyone else. And of course, the flip side of things of a fungible token itself represents Bitcoin, where no, other, no one Bitcoin is different from the other. Uh, the, the NFT landscape has matured a lot in the sense of price discovery, uh, e-commerce exchange platforms, custody, pricing, and the financing aspect of it, most importantly. So if you were to look back in the, in the previous uh, wave of NFTs in 2017, you kind of have a very big spreads between buying and selling art, as opposed to today, when you have art auction houses like Sotheby's, Christie's, who are actively getting involved in the NFT space, uh, in fact, actually, Christie's auctioned off a uh, art piece that was done by this artist named of Robert Ellis. The art was called Portraits of a Mind, and it was auctioned in October of last year, when NFTs was not exactly a big thing. Uh, that, that art piece actually had an estimate of only about $12,000, but it was bidded up to $130,000 itself. So I would say that the, the wave back then was almost upcoming, but very much underrated. Fast forward today, you have things like CryptoPunks, uh, CryptoKitties crypto are still around, the NBA Top Shots, uh, obviously the, the biggest and the, the most headlining moment of the year where people who actually auctioned off an art piece to a Singaporean buyer for almost like 70 to $80 million. And that's something that's, that is definitely unheard of. And it, I think almost became the third most expensive piece in the entire art world, ranking alongside uh, artists, artists like Picasso, uh, and Van Gogh. So when you see the kind of like wave that's coming into the landscape, naturally the effect actually trickles over to every other uh, businesses in the economy itself, whether it's in the custodian business or exchanges like, like Toko Crypto or even Coinbase going for an IPO. I think the whole feel good factor in the space is, is growing today. Uh, my personal experience with NFTs, I actually bought a very first gen zero, generation zero crypto kitty back in 2017. Totally forgot about it. And uh, just over the last couple of weeks, I dug up my wallet and I was like, hey, I actually have a crypto kitty somewhere. Uh, look at the market price. I was like, wow, I was quite honestly surprised by uh, obviously where demand and supply has gone to. So I would say that, you know, the entire uh, investment appetite for, for NFTs is only growing today. Uh, but I would urge users to be obviously like, cautious about what you're looking at, where you could be buying and selling them and, and just be cautious about your, your investments in general. Uh, what I think TKO eventually is aimed to solve as well is to provide an NFT platform in Indonesia where you could use TKO 
along with the other uh, use cases to actually purchase art. And Indonesia as an art scene for Southeast Asia is one of the more fastest, uh, faster growing ones where you have a lot of uh, different art galleries and dealers out there in the space who represent Southeast Asian artists. Uh, I do think that the whole space and economy out there is only just starting to grow. So I would say that uh, it's, it's a good time to just like watch the space and see any other further developments in, uh, in the NFT as well as the art space. As to what the potential future trend could, could bring to, uh, I would say that you know, there are a lot of opportunities in decentralized finance uh, as well as investments in general of, of the main coins. In fact, I think hot off the press, uh, JP Morgan actually just announced that they would be offering an actively managed Bitcoin fund sometime in the summer. And I do think that these are all news that should be uh, mentioned and, and talk about. And obviously, uh, you know, custody is, is the biggest or rather the most important building block for the entire landscape to mature. Thank you. So, Al, any closing thoughts on the custodian and crypto space? Yep, I think just like both Sean's have shared, um, custody is a big piece, um, both from a legal protection um, viewpoint as well as from an investor's viewpoint. And um, whether you're a platform or you're looking for yourself as a sophisticated investor, right? Um, custody, it's one of the key pieces to protecting your asset. Um, it doesn't mean that you know, any other um, retail player shouldn't be talking about custody. Um, at the end of the day, you are the person in charge of your asset and your family's wealth, right? So if you choose to use a platform or a exchange, an exchange that doesn't use a custodian, um, then you know exactly the risk that you're putting yourself into. There's a key difference between a, an exchange platform that tells you that we're doing self-custody versus a platform that knows how to separate those entities and responsibility um, to a third-party custodian. And I think that's something that the general public and investors out there should sort of educate themselves on. Um, and look for exchanges who are doing the right thing at this point in time, especially with NFT. Um, one of the things I just want to quickly mention that when you look at NFTs, one of the problems is also traditional artwork um, is really provenance, right? The ability to track where has it been, who has bought or sold that art piece before. Now you can do that up on a platform because it's on a, a sort of blockchain. Um, you can look at the records, but reading that today, whether you use a Nifty Gateway or some of the other platforms, it's not easy. Now, but with the custodian, the difference is you can really just write a letter to custodian and get a proof of ownership. Um, that are some of the services that custodians out there can actually provide to investors, buyer and seller. And it helps to take care of the issue of being able or not able to read sort of record on blockchain. And I think that's something worth mentioning um, on, on this podcast. Thank you, Sean Leong, L. Lee, and Sean G for the informative discussion today on investing in NFT and crypto assets, practical perspectives from Asia. And to all our listeners, thanks for joining the latest episode of our Withers Talks cryptocurrency podcast. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to any of us. Thank you.